Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. In this episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I was joined by David Duffy. Originally from Cork, Ireland, and now based in Barcelona, David is a renowned musician and composer in his own right. David talks us through his musical journey from picking up the bass as a teenager, discovering jazz and then moving on to study music full-time. We talk through the academic audition process and some of the unique prep tips, as well as some of his experiences when he was a student. We also get into some of David's musical projects, both as a musician and as a composer, the Niall McCabe band, the Eat My Noise project, the making of the video for his track Self, the pros and cons of art funding, and just what is IDM. There's a look into what David's working on at the moment, his commercial work, the inspirational work of Oliver Arnolds, and the live scene in Barcelona. There's a super top five plus George Michael's exploding reverb sound. Let's get right to it. David Duffy. I started guitar when I was about 14. There was one line around the house. My brother bought one and he gave up very quick. I joined a band and realized I wasn't very, wasn't getting fast quick enough. And so one of the bands I was in needed a bass player and they said, hey, there's a bass in the garage. How about you play bass? And I picked that up and realized I was quickly um, accepted and appreciated a lot faster playing the bass. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that started that road down that. And then by chance, uh, there was an ad in a university um, that said free double bass given to anyone that wants to join the orchestra, basically. And <laughs> I was playing a wee signal they need to say good luck getting a taxi or you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Might not be the wisest instrument yeah, for like, transport. Uh, yeah, exactly. Go for the, the harmonica. <laughs> um so yeah, it was that was it. And I signed up for that. They gave me a bass, they gave me a teacher, and they joined an orchestra and I was playing double bass. So that was all happening when I was like a teenager. I was in original bands, rock bands, grunge bands kind of going down that road and also playing double bass on the orchestral thing. And I had a great bass teacher at the time, a guy called Keith MacDonald, who was working in the local music shop and I'd go to him for weekly lessons. And there was some point I was getting like a little handy at electric bass where I was starting to play Jamiroquai bass lines and I was like, okay. And all the Pearl Jam bass lines. Yeah, all the Pearl Jam bass lines were easy at this point. And I was like, I you know, I think I've mastered the bass. I said to him, I think this is it, Keith. I think I've got it. Like, where am I going to go? You know? And he said, uh, go down to a, the record shop and buy a Jacob Astoria's album and a Charles Mingus album and come back to me tomorrow. <laughs> so I no did. Pressure. Actually, I went down and I bought like Jacko's first solo album and um, Charles Mingus album. And then I just listened to him that night and I just had no idea a bass could sound like that or an upright bass could sound like that and that was my introduction into the world of jazz and so then from about 16 to 18 I went pretty like quickly into jazz and I was like trying to learn a lot of that Jacko stuff and I was trying to open up that world and started in the usual places Miles Davis, Coltrane, all of that and then applied for a music degree in Cork and probably wasn't good enough to get into the music degree if I'm honest but because 
I happened to have my interview with the lecturer that was really into jazz at the time. And I auditioned with Charlie Parker, Blues for Alice. Um, it was just in some bass tabs magazine. So I played the head and it's funny in hindsight because I just played the head and finished up and then didn't take a solo or anything. And he just looked at me and he, and he was like, is that it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Like, that's the whole song. Yeah, it's funny in hindsight. He just presumed I was going to improvise or whatever but i just, just learned else, <laughs> just yeah. do something i just learned this tab and i thought that was it i haven't been involved in any of that process myself so i'm quite curious to hear what it was like especially as a younger guy this thing yeah. you were what and you're 17 18, 18, 18 i suppose 18? yeah so either you have no nerves or you're full of nerves eh? it's a kind of weird teenage thing but as an audition process was it just uh you and the lecturer yeah for that college degree, yeah, um, just and there was they gave you, they sent you out a pack saying, okay, you're going to have to perform three pieces that show where you're at in your playing. You're going to have to do a sight reading piano exam, a sight singing exam. You know, there was just they were basically trying to assess your current level of musicianship. Um, and as I said, I was desperately behind on the piano thing because I kind of only made the decision to go to music um college when i was like in my last year of of regular school and i went to a career guidance person and he was advising me to go down marine biology or something that was the road i was going to go on but um my everything about me wanted to study music and my parents were very supportive they were just like if if that's what your heart is telling you then then go for that you know apply but I didn't think I'd get in. I didn't think I was like at that kind of level because usually the music schools are usually conservatories for classical music right. or for jazz. And um, and as I said, I'd only found jazz when I was 16. So I was really not playing very long and my orchestral level was a pretty low level. Yeah, I was lucky to get that. Was I, was I nervous? Yeah, I probably was, but it was a one-on-one -on -one thing. Yeah, the audition went well. I, I connected with the guy and, and got in. Later on, I learned some nice advice from another double bass teacher about nerves though which sometimes I, I still use he was saying like to exercise really intensely like he he get me to run up and down the flights of stairs a few times before playing the exam piece so that you're playing the exam piece with your heart rate up and so when you actually get to do the exam or the performance your body is in a state of preparedness for this adrenaline extra heart mm. thing and it's very wise because we I don't know if you know this, but we take tempos for music from our heart. So everything, your relationship to 120 BPM is relationship to your heart speed. So we have this internal pulse and then that's how we learn the relationship of, of tempos often. And so if your heart rate goes up, the songs all increase in tempo, which is why most of the time at a live performances, bands that aren't experienced play super, faster, super fast right? yeah. because their heart rates are up and there's a bit of uh, adrenaline. So yeah, that's a nice bit of advice. And I still use it sometimes. I'll still like try practice with my heart rate up occasionally if there's something difficult I need to perform. Just don't ask me to run up and down that many stairs <laughs> or that quickly. But Yeah, yeah. I'm so grateful to, to all the teachers I've had over the years, you know. Um, it's just so essential if you can have someone outside of yourself um, who's already went down that path a long way to, to speed up your, your learning process. That was a nice segue in, man. Thanks. <laughs> the, that kind of, because, yeah, I've never really uh, talked about an audition process with anyone anymore. So that was, that was very enlightening. 
the your time at music school were you uh, hard on the books as well as hard as in the playing scene or was it a, a, an enjoyable process for you yeah i adored university i really did and i took everything i could take from it i think you know i mean the school we went to was it was curious and in hindsight a lot of friends of mine criticized it because it was very academic and there was a lot of books actually for a music school so we were doing uh, ethnomusicology and canon of western music and contemporary composition and, and a lot of stuff that was very heady and there were some friends of mine who were just drummers and they just wanted to practice the drums and that's it like why why do i have to care about indonesian music i just want to play you know drums right. And so I got that, but at the same time, for me, I just loved it. I just loved the amount of inputs we were getting. I was also very lucky because I was one of the only double bass players in the university, and there was a four-year jazz arm of the music program. And when I came in, I think it was like the first week, I came into the, uh, the ensemble room where they used to do the ensemble rehearsal, to get one of the double basses so I could practice. And I said, oh, just sorry for interrupting the class. I just want to grab the bass. And the lecturer, who was the guy that auditioned me, said, no, 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 stay. And that was like the final year class already. And he said, no, no, stay, play a tune. And he gave me a bass and I could play some blues at the time. And I played a blues tune. And straight away from like week one, I was playing with the final year students, the, the third year students. and very quickly became in demand in, in the university. So my education, along with all of the class stuff, my real education was just playing with everyone, playing for people's exams. You know, end of end of year recitals was amazing for me because I'd have to go away and learn 40 or 50 tunes for for everyone else's exam. And it was really Which is like, a bit mad, right? That's, it's totally mad, but it was just not the best education. Tunes for 40 or 50. But I'm legend there'll be about... <laughs> I'm a blues fan myself, but you know, I'd imagine there's a certain degree of complex complexity in what you were learning. Yeah, I mean, the the degree was interesting. There was a there was a pop arm, there was a jazz thing, and then there was a tradition, very strong traditional music aspect to the degree. And so you ended up playing like a lot, a lot of different stuff. Me and the drummer, I kind of basically really grew up with, uh, Davy Ryan, like. Me and him were the rhythm section in, in Cork for a very long time for a lot of different groups. And we would just have these ensemble classes. And at the end of year, we would just stay in the ensemble room. It, it, people would come to us. There was this rotation of, of all of the people who had to do exams. And me and him would nearly just stay in the room. And there'd be new piano players and new guitarists and singers. But as the bass and drums, we nearly always stayed there. Yeah, we both say of anything from that music degree that period really like stood to us in terms of um, how to quickly pick up music, how to quickly learn a tune, how to quickly remember a tune and yeah, how to execute it to an exam level, to a professional level. So it was, it was great. It was great education. What was the, the hardest part for you? Not in a plain sense, or it could be a plain sense, but what was the, the more challenging aspect of it? I mean, because you mentioned earlier about getting a wee bit bored or drummers getting bored, but having to yeah. study this or study. And I just, it just made me think, I was like, well. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. I, I, I wish I had loads of stories about, about negative things, but I, I actually, I really loved the ethnomusicology. Like I loved playing gamelan and I loved, I loved these kind of silly thought experiments. Sometimes maybe like 
I ended up doing a master's in contemporary composition after that in that university. So I actually went quite, f there's kind of two arms to my life and to my career. One arm is this bass player just playing jazz and soul and funk and blues and, and, and that arm. And then there's another big arm, which is being a composer and being an electronic musician. And before I went into university, I was already deeply in that reason, making music at home on my laptop kind of world and had already started producing a lot of tracks. And so this contemporary education with a lot of openness to world music also really suited that because I could bring that in. So I, I never really struggled because I guess I, and st my biggest struggle now is probably the same struggle I had then, which is I'm too diverse. I'm too wide open. And um, one day I'm making a house track the next day I'm writing a score for film and then tomorrow I have a rehearsal for a with the jazz quartet and that's hard sometimes because they all have a discipline and they all require a discipline and and I don't have enough time to sometimes give each one the time that it requires and and so I spread myself a little thin and I think university maybe maybe that was the case as well just that aspect of it being too unfocused I mean, if all the answers are expected, that's maybe not the worst. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. every every cloud and all that. It's 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 like yeah, like the good interview questions. What's your worst tra trait? You know, I guess I'm too friendly, or <laughs> something like that. I guess I'm too I'm too world. diverse. <laughs> yeah. Geographically speaking, how did you end up where you are today? It was very quick the the move and the decision, and not. From a career perspective, probably not the wisest one, if I'm honest, but that's okay. It's turned out to be something else and has, has led to new growth. Basically, I, I met my wife nine years ago. Actually, just three days ago was our anniversary. So I met, her I met her nine years ago and, um, and she's Russian. And at the time she was living in Berlin. And then we started a long distance relationship and she was coming and going to Ireland it just got difficult for her. She's an international dance dancer and she's a dance teacher and she was traveling every single weekend. She could get an Irish residency, but basically it didn't turn out to be very helpful because Ireland's not in the Schengen zone and mm. all her work was in the Schengen zone. So even if she got an Irish residency, she would have to keep getting a, a Schengen visa and then a Schengen re-entry visa to come back to Ireland. And very quickly we realized, okay, this isn't going to work living in Ireland. And that was it. We just kind of said, okay, let's let's move to mainland Europe. Where do you want to go? My brother was already living in Barcelona. I'd been in Barcelona twice before and had amazing time here. And we both liked the idea of living in the sun. We'd never done it. And it was just kind of an appealing. You, you can get used to it, right? You coming, can get coming, used to it. Coming from our part of the world as we do, you can, yeah, you can get used to a bit of sun in your back. It's a lovely, it, it felt like an important change for me. It, it was it was probably one of the things that frustrated me most about Ireland. You know, I'm outdoors all the time. I do outdoor sports all the time. And yeah. So it, it seemed to make sense for a lot of reasons to to come here. And that was it. We just kind of, I think it was December. And then we'd already moved to Barcelona by mid-January, February. We just kind of packed up and went pretty quick once we made that decision. And then, of course, as even still a little for the first three years, it was very much I couldn't even say I was living in Barcelona. I was about six months of the year in Ireland and I was 
six months. You know, I was really back and forth, back and forth because yeah, so it's, it's not the easiest transition to do right, in many respects. Yeah, especially as a freelancer, where you build up like your network, and that and that takes so long to to become established and and to be the the person that people call, and so and you can't say no to that work, and so then I ended up just traveling back to Ireland a lot for that work while trying to to get new work here and and get established here. Uh, as I was going through your website, which is fantastic, by the way, it looks great. There's a lot of content on there. And there's a lot to keep yourself amused with, right? You're kind of, oh, what is this button? Doing? Who's in this one? Is that? So I had a great wee time looking around. And I don't know, where would you like to start, man? You you played with so many uh, bands and artists, as you were saying. Uh, let's go contemporary then. How about the Niall McCabe band? And ah. uh, I saw some great videos there and a, a session you did. It looked in like a, a church or a village hall or somewhere like that. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the place is called the, the village hall, actually, yeah. Is that, okay, so that's where it comes. That's what's in yeah. my mind. And yeah. It's great. I mean, he sounds, he sounds brilliant as well, though, but a really nice performance from the band. Ah, uh, thanks, yeah. I mean, that was like... Uh, about five years after college that that band was formed like Niall was also in in um in UCC University College Cork and um and then we we became good friends and then Davey the drummer that's in that band is the drummer I was mentioning earlier and so that that band was um was kind of formed over a few years. There was a band before that we had with Niall called Soul Driven, which was a seven-piece soul band. We just played covers, and we used to have a, um, a Sunday night residency in a lovely venue called the Crane Lane in Cork. And that really gained momentum over about three or four years. Every Sunday night we did that gig, and it just got busier and busier and busier until, like, on Sunday nights, it, people, it, people would know for a good time, right? They yeah, good like people were waiting. Enjoy themselves. Absolutely, yeah. The place was packed on Sunday nights, and um, and and it it was a lot of Niall's appeal. The band had a lovely energy and great musicianship, and um, but Niall is just very special as, and a very special singer to hear live. Um, just this kind of raw emotion, and he always gave one hundred percent um on every performance. And around that time, then he started to write his own music, and uh, that band was formed. Then the the Nat McKay band from that, and yeah, I mean, it's one of those interesting ones in terms of industry and career because we we released two albums, and the first one we did in in Dublin, and Niall really put everything into it, and and they're really. I still think really great songs. It doesn't matter that I'm on them or not. I think it's really great songs and really well recorded. And we did the whole PR campaign and we really pushed it. And it got a bit of radio play. We got on national TV to play on the, the kind of Saturday night RTE um, national TV slot. And then just never gained traction. And when none of us really, really know why, because, I mean, from a live context, there was great energy at the live shows. Um, the band sounded really good. Niall could sing really well live. And the songs, I thought the songs were there, but maybe it just wasn't the right sound for the time or we weren't in Dublin, which is always a, a factor. 
And so, yeah, we did two albums and then that just gradually transformed. And now Niall is doing a solo thing. He actually just released his album uh, five days ago, which everyone should check out. Called, we, we, shall, we shall put the links in the Put links below, yeah, called, right? called Rituals. And um, it's absolutely magnificent. And it's a bit, it's gone more in this folk kind of uh, road, which again is something he was always interested in. But yeah, that that band is still to this day many of my kind of favorite musical memories because we just had a, um, a communication and a connection I haven't had really with with many other musicians and well, the, and and in many ways like your your best friends at the time when you're in a band like that you know you're you're spending so much time together and yeah it, it was a very kind of formative thing and as I said also uh, maybe this will come up frequently talking maybe this will be a depressing podcast in another way um very educational and and downheartening in another way because um when you make something that's really good and it doesn't work in the way you'd hoped it worked um it's sometimes hard to know what to learn from that you know it was just one of those things i i still maybe don't fully understand um why that band didn't get further but 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 so be it you know that that's what happened and uh, there's, there's so many uh, I think I've done maybe 70 episodes or whatever over the last three years. Excuse me. And let's say 70% of them are musicians. And uh, you you go through their back catalogue, their websites. We talk about their music and stuff and videos they made. And it's that moment in time for them and all that creative energy and all that kind of good energy they put into something. Just as you described there, it's it does what it does and then it disappears kind of thing. It's just like, and you don't really know what, I mean, there's, I've pondered many, many an hour over this. Is it people's attention span? Is it always been like this? Or mm. you were saying, you were saying about musically being in the right place at the right, you know, the right sound for the right time. Yeah. Who knows, man? It's a, it's a how long is a piece of string, you know? Yeah. And I mean, more and more, I mean, this is not something new, at all, this is LA or anywhere. It's 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 people, you know. And I think maybe that's the only thing. If I learned anything from it all, it's um, it it's about who you know as well. End of the day, it's about like we always said that a lot of the musicians in the Cork scene said that as well. There's a really vibrant music scene in in Cork City, which is the second city of Ireland, and yet a lot of the best musicians from there don't play the biggest venues they don't get on the big festivals they don't get the exposure that the dublin artists get and there's a part of us for a while thought oh that's because the journalists prefer that these people are from dublin but uh, it's not it's that they go out for a drink in Whelan's and they happen to be standing beside this music magazine writer and have a have a pint and just say hey will you check out my album or this is who i am and 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 that that can never be downplayed and I think that's what we lacked in in Cork and lacked with that band was just connections. We weren't doing that side of things, I think, more than anything. We were really concentrating on the music and the art and and all of that. Well, as you oh, do, though, right? I think as you like do, getting, yeah, as I you mean, do, yeah. Right. But, but it just, a little bit of that, I think, connections and industry, we weren't uh, savvy enough with, perhaps. I mean, that's a story for another, another day, the, the What If podcast, you know. It's exactly. Like, what, 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 you know? <laughs> I guess I've got all these other podcast ideas I've written down, but anyway, don't don't steal my ideas. I won't. Don't worry. Worry. <laughs> right, got it. What's the most diverse stuff you've played then? So we talked about more contemporary or 
yeah. Is that how you describe pop? Soul? Yeah. yeah, pop is fair, yeah. I always think, yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, what's the most diverse stuff you played, either live or in a studio setting? Yeah. I mean... As a composer, excuse me. <laughs> as a composer, yeah. Mm. Um, so kind of at that period on the on the other side of things during, if we're still in that period of my life, the, the, the kind of 20s to 35 or 30s, um, I had a duo with uh, another composer, Peter Power, and we had a group called Eat My Noise was the name of that group. And now, that is, was, it, is it noise with a Z or noise with no, a Z? No, we, we almost went there. We were like, <laughs> no, it's too much. No. So um, that was really nice. That was coming from doing this contemporary classical masters. We did that together and kind of realizing that uh, people have an appetite for this stuff, but it does need to be presented on a certain kind of a palette. And it, we felt anyway, if we go to a concert hall that's fully lit, and the music is difficult and there's nothing else to help you through the experience, you can just disassociate. You can just switch off and get bored. Uh, often that was my experience. There's sometimes the music just wasn't keeping me sustained. Um, and so that just kind of came from our desire to put uh, some of this kind of contemporary stuff we'd learned in masters and when i say contemporary it's such a kind of nonsense word but i guess um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah you know, you know <laughs> no it's a it's a funny word that's what it was it was called contemporary yeah. classical masters in contemporary classical music um but obviously a lot of it is just um difficult music you could say it's not the core progressions you know it's not the things that people are very comfortable with um and and we knew that there was a way to present that that made it more palatable and made it enjoyable. And um, and that's where the emo noise thing kind of came from. And so kind of every year we made an, a different show, like the first one we made with an orchestra, the second one we made with one of the best percussionists in Ireland, Alex Pechku, with a drummer, uh, Thomas Gall, that was called Moiety. And then we did another one for choir, which we... I mean, each of these we could have a long talk about, but we hung 16 car speakers from a roof and then we recorded the choir in 16 individual parts. And so we had one voice per speaker and that was hanging from the ceiling. And so then the audience could go into the choir, which is what I was calling choir, um, and listen to an individual voice uh, in the context of a choral setting. But if they wanted, they could step outside of that and then experience the the whole 16 speakers together. And then we had four live singers as well on the outside of that. It's fantastic. Man. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, that was really nice. So that ran mm. for like a week, kind of as an installation type thing, every night f for a week as part of Cork Film Festival. And a lot of the other ones were part of Cork Midsummer Festival. Um, then we did another one for organ, which was called Flux, which we composed for the oldest, uh, one of the, sorry, one of the largest organs in Europe. Um, and it was only refurbished kind of three years before we, we got in there. So it sounds absolutely amazing, that organ. It's, it's phenomenal, phenomenal instrument. And again, we got access to the church and we could write a piece for that organ. And we, we did um, eight speaker surround sound and projections and lighting so so all of the shows always have a visual arm and we used to always think about 
how all of the ingredients of the show can sustain interest and sustain the audience throughout the performance. So using, obviously, acoustic sound as one layer, electronic sound as one layer, um, projection as a layer, uh, lighting as a layer, and then just always thinking, what are all of the combinations of those and how do we keep going through them and using them in new ways? So how can we have fully acoustic with no lights, fully acoustic with flashing lights, fully acoustic with just projections, electronics with just acoustics, you know. And and when you start to think of all of those variables, you can really um, keep the audience sustained in other ways as along with the music and really create a show, a spectacle. And um, yeah, I think we managed to do that with with, with that. Did you that some good funded in Ireland from the, the Arts Council or I mean, there is good funding, and certainly better in Spain. Way better. I, I mean, um, that I that I know of anyway. I haven't seen any get great get good funding here. Um, and yeah, you have to dance through hoops with any of these applications. I think they're becoming. I think the Arts Council are, to be fair, becoming more and more accessible. Even in the language they use on their website, it seems like they're a little bit more inviting to just creatives in general, like. Uh, they had this new award agility award which was for anyone any musician they didn't even i still think it's a little bizarre i've spoken about this before to someone else they specify always classical jazz and traditional irish music if we talk about the music um sphere of funding they'll only fund classical jazz and traditional irish music and i mean i don't really get it in in a way like they i guess they presume that these are the high art music and so like Mozart's councils they want to fund high art and obviously traditional Irish music just being the tradition that that needs funding um but I don't really get why well they're missing out on all this other good stuff yeah. I mean it does even, I, I mean or if someone's in a, if someone's in a post rock band and they're doing super complicated uh, 7A to 11A weird time signature stuff and it just happens to be with guitars well they don't get the funding but if you're doing it with a saxophone and a trumpet well you get the funding because you're jazz so I, I don't I never really understood that disconnection because the, the argument I think was that the, the band can make a living as a band and they should be out making money but the jazz musician will just not exist without without the funding or the classical musician won't it's a it's it, for me it's a bit of a funny topic in general and the, and then opera gets 10 times the funding that that the music stream gets you know the funding for opera is just through the roof and again operas are massive productions but again everyone in opera has decided they'd pay themselves way more than anyone else so it's it's a little bit funny but at the same time i'm grateful and still very grateful to have access to that system and and be part of that system and know how that system works because it it allowed all of those shows to to happen you know and to make that work and that work could never be made without without the arts council funding and i think that's maybe part of their argument is a band like the Nile McKay band can happen and can release albums and can do things albeit on their own self investment and their own time investment but we made albums we did things we performed shows but there's no way you are getting you know a full choir and car speakers and a, a massive space and projectors and all of that a lighting designer a video artist uh, two composers you know i think we got 20,000 or 25,000 to make that show and we spent every i think we still lost money like we still ended up like 
completely overworking like the two of us for the amount we paid ourselves. I, we probably paid ourselves a thousand euro each and and did six months work. Maybe had a know? couple of pints at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's all done, you know. Yeah, so you get a bit funny, you know. You you get a check for you get approved for 25,000 and then very quickly you realize that's not going to go as far as you thought. You know, you think you can do a huge amount with that, but actually when you enter into scale, it quickly disappears when you start paying for fire safety and insurance and programs. It's all the necessities, but the not unforeseen things as well, but they're just, yeah, further down the list, right? When you're like, oh, forgot about that. Forgot or, about that, or, yeah. We're yeah, going to hang 50 lights from the ceiling. Okay. You Who's going to do it for us? Yeah, exactly. Oh, we oh need I know a crane. My dad will help us, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we, we need a crane all of a sudden. Oh, right. Okay. How I much is a crane the for a day? Somebody, right? no, yeah. You have to go down maybe more formal avenues rather than, than those ones. Yeah. That's some interesting experiences there. From maybe talk a little bit about your website because as I was saying, it's uh, you did it all yourself. The website is designed by a guy called Andrew Miller. Um, we should give him a shout because it uh, looks give, great. Yeah, that's Andrew Miller. He also manages myself and my wife's online school, which is called Secrets of Solo. And he's the guy that does most of all our web stuff. Yeah. Bright, Brightwood Creative is his website. The, the last thing that I saw on your website was the... You'll have to forgive me because I can't remember the name of the song and I'm not, I did write it down and I'm not going to look at it. Okay. But it was the video you did with the Indonesian director. So ah, maybe, maybe yes. Maybe you could tell us about the name of the song and the kind of idea. Of, I read of some of your uh, interviews and stuff as well, but it's, ah, better, cool. it's better to hear from your good self, you know? Yeah. No, that, that song is called Self. I mean, that that's a project I'm pretty much finished with but haven't released yet i released a few tracks i had nine written um where i just wanted to explore like what i would make entirely on my own with a laptop that's it just me and a laptop no external musicians and very much going down this electronic idm which all these genres are funny but intelligent dance music is is that genre tag but yeah this rival consoles kind of Niels Fram, john hopkins the, these people all really inspire me and the worlds you can create um, in a laptop and the spaces you can create and how what a journey you can take a listener on with with just these tools right now you know i mean it's funny that track it's it's a track i probably put some of the most work into of all of these massive shows i've done i put hours and hours and hours into that track and if you listen to it there's so much detail in the percussion and in the synthesizers and in the reverbs and how you're moving from one space to another space. And I really think about the journey for the listener. We won't give the plot away about the video. We'll direct people to the video, you know, so yeah. they can see it for themselves. But yeah, yeah, what you said makes perfect sense. Yeah. And and that was it. It was, I mean, I just gave him this this one direction. He's this Indonesian filmmaker. I, I, I Another guy from Cork, John Bleck, um, who's a, a friend from Cork, he'd used him before and recommended him. And uh, it was just through Fiverr. I just found this guy. He sent me the link. And then I just said to him, I want a video where someone is running from themselves. And there's just lots of movement, constant movement. And that often, I think, when I write music, it's often just a feeling. Like, there might not be a very clear narrative, but with this track, there was just a very clear feeling of forward momentum, but 
constantly moving away from something, just all the time trying to move move past something. There's a couple and, of trippy things later on that happen in the video and so on, right? When it's uh, not too yeah. trippy, but you're like, cool. yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. No, it, it you get this kind of reveal artistic at the license, end. I guess we could call it. You know, it's uh, yeah, but yeah. it looks great. Uh, shot really well. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, what are you working on at the moment, then, David? Quite a few things. I'm just after in in April last year, I recorded my own jazz album. Well, jazz again, quite loosely cinematic jazz, I suppose, with my own quartet in a beautiful studio called Casa Marada, um, which is about an hour south of Barcelona. And we lived in that studio for a week. It's a beautiful studio. You can all sleep there and record whenever you want. You have access 24 hours a day. Yeah, we went there, we recorded that album in April, and then I spent the last six months doing a lot of a lot of post-production. I'm very, very detailed with sound and with post-production, and I really like taking acoustic sound and processing it deeply, like really changing it and moving it, but starting with the original source. And so we spent, myself and the engineer who recorded, Andreas uh, Geraldo, we spent a lot of time um, really sculpting all of the tracks. And so they're finished and they've just been mastered and I am in the process of releasing that, just getting a video made for the first single. And I'm trying to shop that around a little bit. I'm sending it out to some labels and seeing if there's any labels interested before I go on the self-release path. But I'm also okay with doing the self-release thing. Um, but for now, I'm just seeing if I can get a bit more traction with labels. So I'm in a bit of a waiting period with that, but that album's finished fully and uh, that's coming out. I just recorded another jazz album with a project I have with my wife called K Quintet. And that's us just writing really straight ahead 60s swing, which started out as quite a commercial venture for our school. We have an online dance school. You can tell us the name again. Secrets of Solo is the name of that school. Don't be shy. Uh, uh, <laughs> that my, my wife leads. And uh, we wanted just original music for her to dance to so we could monetize all the videos on YouTube. And so I was like, look, I'm just going to write some jazz tunes and let's get a band together and go to a studio for a day and record them. And that's what happened with the first album. We really enjoyed the process. And so we did it again. And again, that album's finished and we're kind of dripping out those tracks. We've released two of them and we're going to kind of do two more singles and then release that album. What else? I've just finished a score for... A friend of mine, Tony Tony Ritchie, who made a film, a short film called um, Here I Am, which is gorgeous. It's a five-minute poem that she wrote, and she filmed here, and I, I wrote the score for that. And I wrote the end title music with her then, which is more of a R&B kind of neo-soul track type track. We recorded that in Vertigo Studios, which is where I recorded a lot of the, the Cake Quintet stuff is recorded in Vertigo Studios as well. Um, so that's coming out. I'm sure there's other things. I'm working with, I work with a French company quite a lot. You'll see that on my website. Like one of, um, if we want to talk about like income streams or any of those things, I'm um, totally open yeah, to talk about those. Whatever you're comfortable with. You know, yeah, no, I'm totally open to talk about those. Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of commercial work as well um, to pay the bills. And I love it as well. It's not just to pay the bills. Um, I work with this French company called MIP, uh, Master Image Programs. And they've been, they've used me for, five years now, six years for all of their work. And they they have some really big clients like the European Space Agency and Boeing and a lot of aerospace airlines, a lot in that kind of 
world. The aeronautical. The aeronautical based. world. Yeah, I mean, this whole, it's funny talking about like what I said earlier about knowing people, huh? Mm. Like they, because I'm good friends with the, the guy who owns that company and he had no plan particularly to be a film production company for the aerospace <laughs> industry, <laughs> but he, he got, he got some videos. He did a good job on that first video. And then other people in the aerospace industry went, oh, these are the guys to go to for this type of work. And then they got more of that work. And it's like, all of a sudden you get pigeonholed in a way into this, this industry, but, um, but so be it. So that's what they do. And so I'm writing, um, I'm writing music and doing the sound design for one of their videos. Literally today I was working on that and, uh, that's how it tomorrow. Time I, to go, how do you get time to go skiing, man? <laughs> <laughs> it comes, it does come in waves. I'm laughing. My wife is laughing at me today because, um, I had was working on that today, and tomorrow we have a rehearsal for Mercy, a jazz festival in March. But we're rehearsing the band tomorrow because the the brass are actually living in Basel right now, studying in Basel. So their flight there just happened to be in Barcelona. So we're rehearsing that tomorrow. And so yes, yeah, so sometimes it's, it's, it sounds a bit feast of famine. You're you're either in one camp or the other, and it's yeah. between two me. It's great it's, to be busy, though, man. It's great to be busy, but it's it's hilarious. Like as I was saying, to her, it's, <laughs> it's felt like I had loads of time last week, and then today, just it, everything landed in some funny way. And um, yeah, but it's good. It's it's good to have that feeling that you're 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 wanted, and people are are employing you and want to work with you. And um, yeah, it always gives me a good feeling. Uh, we never really talked about your. Uh, we talked a little bit about your kind of uh, influences or inspirations as starting out music, but what, what are you listening to at the moment? I feel like I, I listen to just a huge range of music, but it, 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 with my own stuff, it's obviously always a combination of of various things. But I'm also I, with the jazz stuff. I'm really inspired by yeah, like Portugal Quartet. I, I listen to those guys a lot, and then I think Niels Fram and Rival Consoles and John Hopkins. They're probably James Blake, maybe those mm. four people in this kind of electronic sphere really always, no matter when I go back to them. I mean, there's so many other names, but I think those four are people that I just keep coming back to and being like, okay, um, that's a bar, like that's a level to always aim at for me um, in terms of creativity, in terms of sound. Um, and Olafur Arnolds as well. I really, I really like him in terms of, again, just the range. I think lately I'm becoming more comfortable with having this massive diversity and not seeing that as a problem, but actually seeing it as a, as a beautiful thing. And and someone like him, he's working on a film score one week. He's doing his techno project, Chiasmos, the next week, and then he's off doing some neoclassical concert, you know, of his own kind of thing. And and. So those people inspire me when I can see someone can have a successful career as a performer, as a composer, as a media composer, as a DJ, essentially, you know, or as a dance producer. I'm like, okay, this is really nice that, you know, that inspires me to, um, to not be so pigeonholed, you know, because I think if I'm honest, if I just played jazz every day, I think I get bored of that. And if I just wrote music for advertisements, I get bored of that. You know, I think I need to keep moving my, my <laughs> focus. It's like a shark, right? If you stop moving, you're done. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm um, not comparing you to a shark in any way. Only in a good <laughs> way. <laughs> you know? The live scene in Barcelona, do you get out to 
play much yourself. I know you the scene now that things are back to normal. Yeah. It's a funny city and maybe I just haven't found it, but I have good friends with an American saxophone player, Warren Walker, and we we spend a lot of time together and Warren's um, fantastic. Um, he had a band called the Kandinsky Effect and used to tour a lot as a jazz musician and then now he's doing a lot of modular synth stuff. And and we talk a lot that it's it's sometimes funny to to find what Barcelona is or what the scene is. And I'm not sure is that just we're not fully connecting with it. So you have all these jams and Barcelona is really built on jams. And I think it's built on jams because no one wants to pay for anything. And it's really bizarre. So there's like a jam probably most nights of the week you can go to, but you'll find that three of the musicians are being paid 60 or 70 euro and everyone else is going there to play for free. And the venues seem to have figured out this format that if we do this format, we'll have a seven piece band playing on stage, but actually we're only going to pay three musicians. Um, Hopefully you get a full house or as good a... Yeah, and the musicians themselves will become the audience. You know, like um, there'll be 20 musicians here drinking, so great. So it's not, it's not, it's almost not even paying the musicians. It's actually almost making money from musicians wanting to play because, you know, you have so many music schools here. You have three big music schools in Barcelona and they're all pumping out really good musicians who want to play and want to play together. And so... So there's like the Marula Jam on Wednesdays, which is amazing. It's cool. It's fun. But there'll be a line of musicians to play there. And and that's how I met Robert. And um, that did lead to some gigs because Robert is coming from from years of experience in New York and, and touring and just booking his own shows, just like really getting into venues and booking his own shows. So, yeah, the live thing, I feel it's either really big, like Order for Arnold's or something in Auditory, and you'll have 2,000 people sitting down watching the concert, paying 40 euro for a ticket, or really small jam. And that middle thing is there. There's a venue like Lanau. You know, you'll get, Two three hundred people in that venue, and that's cool. And then the rest that the least that I know um, from my my time here is like some nice small clubs like Jamboree, which is super famous, or um, Milano Cocktail Bar, or Marula, or these places that are basement type jazz clubs that will hold a hundred people. And I believe they call it like an intimate setting, or an intimate something. setting, <laughs> exactly. So that's been my experience. I started to go into that scene heavily when I moved here first, like going to all of the jams, trying to meet everyone, trying to play a lot. And I got connected to a few people and I started to play. And then I got a very quick sensation of, oh, this is going out for 70 or 80 euro. And and I don't know if, if, if I want to do that anymore. I don't know if that's where my career is anymore because I did that in Ireland. I did that five nights a week in Ireland. And... I know what that life is. And, and for a moment, I was just like, okay, I want to concentrate more on on production, on making, on on bigger scale and on that world. And and that's that's where I am. So I'm not super into the live music scene in that regard, I think, in, in Barcelona, you know. Because in Ireland, I'm, I mean, I still have those contacts when I did with my, with my jazz quartet, when I did that show Unity, which is the album I just recorded, it was headlining Cork Jazz Festival and it was in a beautiful church and I could have a full light show and a full projection show with it. And I could just kind of enter at at that scale and that's the scale I like to play my music on, if I'm honest. I love, you know, grand 
like really I like musical experiences to feel almost otherworldly to bring you somewhere really really special you know um that always kind of motivates me when I see something that's a spectacle and that's really elevating and yeah um and feels like it's connecting to some some bigger reality than this one um and maybe a small bar of people jamming on some jazz standards doesn't connect me to that (laughs) (laughs) that's fair enough man yeah i I can't really uh yeah flows all yours definitely man uh where can we find you then david tell us your uh tell us the name of your fine website where the good people can find you very good my website is davidduffymusic.com quite simple so my name and uh, Duffy is D-U-F-F-Y and the same on all of the other things um, Instagram it's David Duffy Music um, Spotify it's David Duffy and um, they're the main places I put things put music on Spotify bits of my life on Instagram and uh, yeah my website <laughs> right. is kind of a port- portfolio so that's about it just as a kind of a side tangent question since we mentioned all your uh, your socials and your links and whatnot. On your website, where would you say is a good place for someone to start? I mean, you know, it really, for me, it's what you're interested in. If you're interested in the music I write, go to the composer section. If you're interested in the the people I've played with, go to the basis section and have all my discography there of people I played with and, and links to those albums. So you can check out those albums. And that might be a nice little deep dive into some of the, the Cork Irish music scene. And there's some great musicians there like Jack O'Rourke and Niall. And I still need to update it. I just produced an album with, which is my most recent work, maybe with Davy Lyons, who's an Irish singer-songwriter uh, living in Barcelona. And he just re- recorded his debut album and I produced all of that and arranged that with him. So the website needs a bit of updating. Top five then. You know what's coming there? Okay, I'll, I'll just go for it, shall I? Okay. <laughs> a guilty pleasure. You don't really need to feel guilty yeah. to okay. like okay. it, okay. but you're, we might be surprised that you you like a bit of this now and again. Okay. George Michael. Yeah, I like George. I had Whisper the other day. Man. Yeah, was there like, you go. Where was it? I can't remember, but it just, it was a, a, not a meme, but it's one of the, like an Instagram video that someone had kind of put together and that was the open. It was two footballers in fact and then the, the backdrop was Kayla's Whisper and the yeah. intro for that just sounds fantastic. It's I mean you know? I, I, it's I, iconic. It is. There's an it's album um, Songs from the 20th Century that he does mm-hmm. which is a, a jazz album or yeah, a pop jazz album and I'm sure jazz purists will vomit in the toilet listening to it but I, I actually really enjoy it. Like That bass line for Roxanne was one of the first bass lines I really learned at the time and um, I think it's a fantastic bass line and I mean there's something about um, this you know about his use of de-esser and like, mm-hmm. when you notice that I mean it still makes me laugh every single time now as a producer when I hear this stuff that each of his S's rather than remove the S they send the S into the reverb so every single time he says S, the reverb just explodes. <laughs> and you can, once you know that, you can never listen to George Michael again because every S will just trigger you. Like uh, George Michael's great, though. I, I saw some great clips. It was like a music review program. I'll find mm-hmm. it. They'll find the YouTube link. So there's George, it sounds like a joke I'm going to say. It. There's George Michael Morrissey, Tony Blackburn, if you know who Tony Blackburn was, the old Radio 1 guy. Uh-huh. And some other dude. Mike Reed or someone was the panel host or something, and they were, 
I can't remember the name of the show, but it's this kind of famous clip when George Michael's critiquing Joy Division and how much he enjoys them and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and Tony Blackburn's just kind of looking at him going, I he's just from a different planet. He's just, I'm not going to see And of course, Morris, he's very, before his household days, he's very eloquent and uh, forthright in his opinions and stuff, but he mm-hmm. doesn't say anything too wild or wacky as, as he is now. <laughs> Prone to doing. I should dig that <laughs> clip out, man. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to see it. Because he's very, uh, he's very articulate and quite surprising because people are like, well, George Michael's like this dude with a bouffant and all mm-hmm. the tan and all that. But no, I think there was a bit more of course, to him than met the eye. Yeah, absolutely. Sadly absolutely. missed. Yeah. What's a go-to karaoke song, uh, David, if you're in the mood for it? You know, I, ca- I can sing for all, for all the instruments I play, I can sing. So, um, is that the one you forgot? I, right, you were kind of working through the list, and you yeah, never yeah, got to me. Work on this one. I really, <laughs> I really can't sing. So I'll usually just do like a James Brown song, which oh, is the most hilarious perfect, thing to yeah. karaoke to ever, because you think you have some idea of what it might be, and then you just realize that it's ah oh get back <laughs> ah, ooh, ah. it's just these random vowel sounds coming up on a screen. So. I've found over the years that that's one I can at least um, get away with, yeah. It gives you a bit of kind of artistic uh, <laughs> license to, to, to improvise a bit as well, like James exactly. Brown, you know, and Just... get, get, your, get on the good foot. <laughs> exactly. The other one that I kind of, I forgot, I've gotten around the, the questions around the wrong way. Uh, tell us someone that you don't really get, or you might think, in other words, might be a bit overrated. Someone hmm. you just don't get, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, Absolutely. not for me. Mm, I'm so I'm so open. I must say, um, well, that's a tough question that I don't get. You know, I should I should have an answer. Can I can I have a non-answer? <laughs> have yeah. an answer that I mean, if I say anyone, it'll be too small and local, and it'll be hurtful. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. There's loads of people I don't get mm. on a local level that are getting success, and I don't know why they're getting success. Like this comes back to the we McKay band thing and yeah. all this. I don't understand sometimes this mid-range thing, but at the same time, there's no point in critiquing those people because they're they're coming up and I don't think there's any point in mentioning those. And then with big stars, I mean... What is a big star anymore, man? This is a, this is a, a question st- in itself. You know? It Madonna, is a Madonna's, Madonna's saying, or someone was telling me she's putting out a new tour or they're just advertising tickets for it. Is that... 800th anniversary, like a not like a virgin tour or whatever she's calling it as, and it's I'll probably sell as many tickets as the last one did, which was what, what the highest grossing in the world at that time. Mm-hmm. Sam Smith, right? Like, let me let me see if I can poke you with a stick, right? <laughs> <laughs> Get my metaphorical stick. You saw the pictures the other day, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that with yeah, the, yeah. the thing, right? or even though like Bowie did it, I'm sure there's a Joking, there's a Bowie did it, whatever it was, 35 years ago, with those similar kind of crazy pants things he was wearing. Yeah. But maybe, I mean, obviously, going back in time, Ronan Keating will, there's a name that will come up. I, I will mm. never get, I will never get Boys Own Musically or something. Yeah. Ronan Keating, and especially Ronan Keating having a follow up career after that. I will never, ever understand that on any music all the time. Yeah. I understand it on a commercial level, but I never, mm ever understood it musically no so that's certainly a name i'll happily throw out let's swiftly move on i can't really go anywhere <laughs> from Ronan keaton man without getting without getting the swear police kind of uh, knocking on the door 
Yeah. Uh, favorite venue? You mentioned some places earlier in Barcelona, but uh, talk about maybe your your home, your hometown. Yeah, I mean, there's a beautiful venue called Collins in Cork, which is um tiny little. It's a beautiful bar, but they have a back room, and that's where we used to do a residency with the Niall McKay band for nearly five years. It holds about forty people, but it sounds really good. It's just all wood, and it just sounds like uh, everyone's on stage. It was with built you. to be played in, or yeah, I just it was, well, maybe because we played there for so long. But just when you're playing, and the energy gets up in that room, and we had some really well nights in that room. Um, over the years with with guest musicians coming in and the the energy just can really get electric. It's just like the, the audience are on stage with you. There is no stage. There's just a big room and everyone's in it together and, and the sound always just became so cohesive and just, yeah, felt so big. Um, when we got loud in there, it always felt loud but like energetic and like it was the, the room could hold it and yeah. I always love that room. It was meant to be. It's also, I think it was the Imro music venue of the year three years ago or something as well. And they host great, great concerts. Yeah. Last question for you, David. Who should we be listening to? Can I, uh, can I drop some names for myself? I, as many as you like. Okay. I write a lot of music with my wife, which is an awkward name. She's actually talking about changing it for, for this purpose, but uh, Ksenia Paratskaya and, uh, we released an album, Colors, last year, and um, it came out really well, I think. And that's been released on a Japanese label this year and has got a nice reception online. So that's a beautiful album uh, to check out. I mentioned Niall's album earlier, but again, I'll say it again, Rituals, his first album is beautiful. And Davey Lines' new album, uh, The Human Factor, was just that, released that two weeks ago. you had no small part in uh, That I had no small part <laughs> in, yeah, yeah. Not because of that. No. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying that. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, that's a few names. I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to open up my Spotify now to, to see who else I, I <laughs> drop. That's a great starting place. Yeah. David, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for, uh, taking the time out your night and, uh, sharing the last hour or so with me. Absolute pleasure as well, Craig. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for making it to the end of this episode of Can't Find My Way Home. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all those other places where you'll find podcasts. See you in the next one. Cheers. <laughs>